Welcome to Massive Late Fee. And now your hosts, Mark and Carol. Well, hello everyone. Happy New Year and welcome back to Massive Late Fee. My name is Mark. With me as always is my girlfriend, Carol. How are you doing, Carol? Happy New Year and hey, what's up? That's right. It is January 5th, 1996. Can you believe it? We're already in 96. Season 3 of the show is... Which you already heard yesterday if you actually listened to our 90210 show. That's true. If you, if you list, not everyone listens to the 90210 show, though. So I'm wishing the rest of you bastards a happy new year, too. <laughs> There's some funny stuff that goes on on 90210. There is. You should listen to the show even if you don't like 90210. Because we're funny. It's Damn fun, it. It's a fun show. <laughs> Speaking of funny, though, according to Liz Smith, noted columnist, uh, entertainment columnist, it's time for Oliver Stone to do a comedy. Okay. Could you imagine Oliver Stone making a comedy movie? He of Born on the Fourth of July, Platoon, and JFK fame. See, none of those uh, movies mean anything to me, which is why I have no idea who you're talking about. I'm picturing Oliver Platt and Sharon Stone. <laughs> yeah, Oliver Stone is if, if Oliver Platt and Sharon Stone crossed themselves. Right, if they had a baby. Right. No, Oliver Stone is a director. He directed JFK. He's a very conspiratorial guy. Okay. It's all a conspiracy kind of sure. stuff. They're all heavily violent, political, about the degradations of society. She says, Oliver Stone is one of America's most fascinating filmmakers, and one with a distinct political point of view. But his new movie, Nixon, an admittedly meld of fact and fiction, may have backfired somewhat. The movie, distributed by Disney has already been trashed with high emotion by Walt's daughter, Diane Disney Miller. She summed up the damage of Stone's mix-and-match technique in a letter to the Nixon family. So, they don't, uh, they're they're not happy about it. I mean, it's Nixon. Fuck him. (laughs) (laughs) The guy that lied to the entire American people. Right. For years and destroyed America's innocence. Wow. Yeah. That's that's some heavy charges there. Fuck Nixon. Destroyed America's innocence. Give a shit about him. He is the reason that there are no more soda counters. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> uh, also in the news, Rita and Tom Hanks, Rita Wilson and mm-hmm. Tom Hanks, uh, welcomed a new baby boy. Tuesday night. He is named Truman Theodore. Congratulations. Their second child. What's their first child's name? Do you know? No, I don't know. He's got a son named Colin, but I believe that's with his first wife. Oh. Samantha something. Samantha Hughes or something. I don't know. Interesting. Uh, Brad Pitt in Seven, Scruffy and Disturbed. Brad Pitt in Twelve Monkeys, Scruffy and Insane. (laughs) Okay, Brad, you can act. Enough. Let's get back to the sex symbol thing. <gasps> wow. Yeah, Liz Smith is not she, nice. She doesn't care about the acting anymore. So, um, you're a bitch, and <laughs> if you just want to see him naked, like I'm sure there are plenty of places to do that. Right? I, I doubt it. I'm just thinking about it. Like, has he had any naked scenes? Like, Interview with a Vampire. 
I mean, Legends of the Fall, Thelma and Louise. There you go. Yeah, he's naked in there. He, I don't there's, think he's there's naked. Brad Pitt butt in that movie. Maybe yeah. there is. Okay, I know this. <laughs> <laughs> and like with the Desperado VHS, that that one's destroyed at your house, huh? <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not. So sure. Ashley Judd received a standing ovation on the set of HBO's Norma Jean in Maryland movie, now shooting in Hollywood. Judd plays young Norma Jean. Mira Sorvino, Mira Sorvino, the mighty Aphrodite herself, as Norma Jean's creation, Marilyn Monroe. Wow. It's not like a Frankenstein thing. I don't get that. Mm. Judd reports that she won her applause prior to filming a lengthy nude scene. Oh, well, speaking of nude scenes. Right. That'd be weird. Pro- oh, okay, prior to. I thought it was like right afterwards. Standing ovation. She arrived on the set in a robe and blithely announced, Hi, I'm Ashley, and I'm going to be nude for the next 12 hours. <laughs> I'm not embarrassed, and I hope you won't be either. The young actress then dropped her robe and said, This is my body. The ovation swelled. <laughs> <laughs> How would you like to get a standing ovation for your naked body? That'd be pretty cool. I give you some sometimes, um, in a way. <laughs> you definitely uh, give me uh, stand-up at attention. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's what uh, that's what Liz Smith has to say this week. The other interesting piece of a Nuez uh, is, well, there's a couple things. One is that a conservative group has identified 25 family-friendly shows. So the ones we won't be doing, got what, it. What do you think about that? Uh, ABC's, so like this is, this is uh, they, they, they go through all the ones they consider family-friendly, uh-huh. uh, but Roseanne uh, does not because it has foul language, uh, premarital sex, disrespect for parental authority, and addresses adult-oriented subject matter, such as homosexuality. I'm trying to think about homosexuality and Roseanne. What? Uh, the what's her name is uh, uh, Sandra. Oh yeah, Sandra okay. Bernard is uh, gay or whatever, right? Yeah, you're right. But I don't know that that's adult themed. That's adult content. I don't know. It talks about sex, so sure. But but it's. Homosexuality is like that. There are teenagers that are homosexuals, you know. Yeah, but I mean, what about children? What about them? Children can be homosexual too, I guess. But I'm just saying that children don't need to be talking about sex. I guess. But talking about talking about homosexuality isn't necessarily talking about sex. It's your sexual orientation. But it's not talking about the act of having sex necessarily. It's talking about who you're trying. That's like saying. Um. Oh, we, kids shouldn't watch. Young kids shouldn't watch princess movies, like Disney movies and stuff like that, they're, because they're talking about their attraction to uh, princes and stuff like that. Princesses are attracted to prince, princes. They shouldn't talk about that. That's adult stuff, not kid stuff. Ha ha ha! It's. Okay. I'm not joking. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous what you're saying. So it's not ridiculous. I'm saying that talking about homosexuality is something that everyone can do. It doesn't have to be for adults. And okay. I think it's ridiculous that this conservative group thinks that it is. If you want the guide, you can order the 1995-96 Family Guide to primetime television by calling 
two four three bias, <laughs> which is appropriate. The price is seven ninety five plus two dollars for shipping. <clears throat> I would advise that you don't, and that you watch what you want. Yeah, and don't let some uh, fucking conservative hacks tell you uh, what you should watch. But you know, watch with your children. <clears throat> I guess if you have kids, sure. Other shows that get the family-friendly stickers include NBC's Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, ABC's Block of Four Family Night sitcoms, Family Matters, Boy Meets World, Step by Step, and Hanging with Mr. Cooper. I like all of those shows. CBS's Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman and Touched by an Angel, Fox's Space, and WB's Sunday sitcoms. Space? I've never heard of it. Red lights go up for NBC's Friends for its raciness. What? CBS is Sybil for its ridicule of marriage. Well, Fox's Beverly Hills 90210 for its sexuality and Fox's X-Files for its bizarre conspiracy theories alleging outrageous government atrocities. See, I don't necessarily disagree with their take on most of these shows. I like all of them, but I'm also, you know, not trying to find family-friendly content, so. I wouldn't show a child the X-Files. Right. But it's not made for children. Would you show a child Beverly Hills now to an O? Um, I don't know. I guess not, but like uh, a teenager, maybe. Sure. Well, it's about teenagers. So. The last bit of news here is, sorry, it's it's winter. I've got a little bit of a cough, guys. Mm-hmm. How the daytime hosts stack up as actors. Montel Williams isn't the only talk show host to do the Hollywood shuffle. There are five other daytime Flap jaws. <laughs> Who've attempted the acting thing along with their ratings on the Captain video acting acting coolometer. <laughs> oh, Captain video. Wow. Ricky Lake. Many pounds ago, Ricky Lake was a sassly plump uh ingenue who squeezed out quality acting sparks with a recurring role on China Beach. More importantly, she played Tracy Trumbull, the ridiculously sublime dancing teen diva in the rollicking John Waters rock and roll cult fave, Hairspray, the coolest. He calls her the coolest. You don't like Ricky Lake that much. Meh. Oprah Winfrey. Besides Montel Williams, Oprah is the only one of our uh, chatterboxes who actually started out with a talk show before she tried acting. She made a splashy Hollywood debut, earning Golden Globe Academy Award nominations for her portrayal of Sophia in Steven Spielberg's 1985 film, The Color Purple. Very cool. That's also a very racy uh, story. That's true. And homosexuality. Yes. I read the book Mm -hmm. because it was on our recommended reading list in sixth grade. Oh, wow. And my teacher read my book report and apologized to my mother. (laughs) having me read it <laughs> that's hilarious it's a good book though yeah i liked it uh danny bonaducci the smarty pants host of the recently canceled Campfest danny hasn't done a lot of acting lately partridge family you know you you, you remember him mm-hmm. he's borderline cool apparently tempest bledsoe little vanessa huxtable all grown up and hosting tempest doing the sally jesse raphael daytime stunt strut through substance abuse, fractured relationships, and assorted other dysfunctional behaviors. But aside from the Cosby Show, Bledsoe's acting career has been a flatliner. Tempest is tepid. 
Mm. Not, not cool. Sorry. <clears throat> Last one on the list, Gabrielle Cartier. Oh, goodness. Gabrielle is best remembered as that studious little mope. Andrea Zuckerman on Beverly Hills 90210. A student Andrea was a preachy social activist and pushy school newspaper editor. Way, way uncool. Viewers apparently apparently didn't warm to her on Gabrielle either. The talk show was canceled Tuesday. It disappears after March 29th. Wow, that was fast. That's Mike Duffy for you. Captain Video File or whatever the fuck he calls himself. Oh, well. So that's the news this week for us. Carol. Yes. We've got two things to talk about today. We do. A televisual program and a movie. Yes. Which one do you want to steer? Uh, the televisual program, please. Well, then, then you're up. <laughs> so we watched Party of Five, and neither one of us had seen any episodes of Party of Five before this one. Yeah, it was a party of two watching Party <laughs> of Five. But I like it so much. Like I really, I really want to keep watching it now. Like, um, it's... I should buy you the tapes, and we should go back <laughs> and do a Party of Five show now. Oh, too. I think we need to wait till we catch up uh, to Beverly Hills now to know first before so we go never. back and watch anything else. Um, They're only on season two, party of five. That's true. But they have, oh, what is her name? Jennifer Love Hewitt. Yeah. She's playing some rich adopted girl. Mm -hmm. Is she dating one of the siblings? Is the boy she's dating one of the siblings? Because it was kind of... She's dating Scott Wolf. They didn't, like, clearly define, because, you know, people have been watching the show and know this stuff, but coming into it, it's not very clearly defined who is related to who and how. So here's what I can piece together. Okay. Matthew Fox is the oldest brother named Charlie. Who owns the bar? Charlie Salinger. Restaurant. He's 24 years old and he owns a bar slash restaurant. Yeah. I don't, I think, I guess he maybe inherited it from his parents. I'm guessing because what, what 24 year old owns a successful business? Yeah. But the parents are dead. I don't know how they died. Car Uh, crash. I'm guessing. Yeah. I'm uh, just guessing. Plane crash. They were both in different planes for some reason, but those planes crashed into each other. Robbery. Um, but the parents are both dead, and Charlie runs slash owns the bar called Salinger's. Uh, the other one, Scott Wolf's character is, it's Charlie and, I don't know, but he's the second oldest. And he's one that's dating Jennifer Love Hewitt. He's dating the actress Jennifer Love Hewitt, not the... Not the character. No, right. he's dead. No, he's dating no. whoever Jennifer Love Hewitt's character is. And then Nev Campbell plays the oldest daughter. One of these days, I'm going to invest in a notebook and some pens and write at least down the names of people in shows. I think that we owe you guys that much. I think her name's Casey or something like that. I, I have know. no clue. But anyway, she's the oldest daughter. And then there's a younger daughter. But see, that's only four, and it's called Party of Five. The younger daughter is 12. Mm-hmm. I remember very clearly, because they say that, because <clears throat> she gets into shenanigans. But is there a baby, or a toddler, or something that we just didn't see? Or, like, where's the fifth one come from? Hmm. I feel like in the intro to the show, I saw Nev Campbell holding a baby. Oh, maybe that baby's dead. Oh, God. I don't know because like of four and a half. We're not like familiar with the show, so if anybody out there knows Who's the, the whole fifth? story, Who's the fifth in the party of five. Feel free to fill us in here. Who is the fifth sibling, and what happened to their parents? Mm-hmm. Okay, 
So in this episode, though, who should we start with? Um, I'm going to go with uh, the Nev Campbell's character. Sure. So she is in class. Yeah, I'm impressed that we know all these actors' names. Yeah. Like, I took the time to fit, find out Matthew Fox. Like, he's ever going to fucking do anything again. I, and I, I, I took the time to learn Matthew Fox's name. Right. It's weird, isn't it, how we have this ability to know the actors and actresses and not the characters they play? I, I guess I just pay attention more to the actors' names. Right. When we look this stuff up in, like, the TV guide, it always says in, parenth- in parentheticals what the actor's name is next to their character. And they always use full names, so I remember those full names better than I do whatever their character's first names are. That makes kind of sense. Unless I, I watch the show a lot. Or if you see them then in other things, then you might know the actors even more. Yeah, I think I've seen... I'm trying to think. I think I've seen at least one of them in something else, but I can't remember what. Yeah. But either ways, she is in high school. Who? Nev oh, Campbell. No, yeah, Nev Campbell, yeah. And in her English class, her teacher asked her to stay behind. First of all, her bro- her brother, God, her boyfriend, is talking about how they're going to get together to study slash have sex um, after school. Mm-hmm. And then her teacher's like, hey, stay back and talk to me. And tells her that... Did you that- recognize her teacher, by the way? No. Her teacher's Lance Guest. No idea who that the is. The last Starfighter. No idea who that is. It was a... A movie called The Last Starfighter. I never saw it or heard of it. Aw, that's a great movie. Sorry. Yeah, he played, uh, I can't remember his, his name now. Hmm. The character, I saw another character name I can't remember. He's kind of handsome, but. Like, when he was a little teenager in the 80s, he played uh, The Last Starfighter. Was he handsome in the 80s? Mm-hmm. Okay. He, he had to, he had to, like he played this video game, this arcade game, and he beat it. And the arcade game was like secretly training for an intergalactic battle of, you know, if you're good at the game, then you'd be good. It's like it mimics the ship's controls. Okay. Weird. So he, he had to uh, he had to fight against Zerg and the Kodan Armada. Interesting. Yeah. So. I, he, we got to rent The Last Starfighter. I got to show you okay. The Last Starfighter. When, when, whenever there's a week when there's not something good at the movie theater, maybe we'll rent it. Anyway, Lance Guest is the creep. The teacher... It's like before and after Lance guest star. The teacher asks her to stay back so he can talk to her about what she wrote, which he says is not up to her usual standards. Mm -hmm. It is about being touched. Oh, yeah. By her boyfriend, I assume, Mm -hmm. but it's... It sounds like it's kind of like poetry. Not touched by an angel. I'll tell you or, that right, like, but not family friendly. What? Like he's he's reading it and he's like, you know, write what you know. Yeah. And she's like, but I do know. I do know this. Which and she like, kind of stops herself. Yeah, but, and and like they both kind of like are like, hmm, <laughs> this is not appropriate. Right. Um. And he's like, if you're writing about being touched, then I need to feel like I'm in your skin. And you I need know, to feel like I'm inside you. Yeah. It was, Can you help me out with that? It was something. Uh, and so she looks really uncomfortable and upset. Uh-huh. And like her Rightly feelings so. are. And like her feelings are hurt because he's criticizing her, her writing. And then he grabs her and gives her a big hug and tells her to not be mm-hmm. so sensitive, which is where it gets really, really creepy. It's very controlling. It's it, None of it's good. No. So then she's walking home from school, and the teacher, like, rolls up on her in his car. 
like keeping pace with her mm-hmm. in that creepy stalkery way that guys will do in their cars. I don't understand. Do they teach you that in driver's ed? Like, I don't. I don't <laughs> think that I could just like roll around next to somebody like la la la. He's like, let me, let me, let me, let me hide you. Let me hide that girl. <laughs> and he won't leave her alone until she no. gets in his car. Yeah. He's like, little girl, I have some candy. She's like, no, I'm not hungry. <laughs> and he's like, come on, you know you want my fucking candy, bitch. Get in the car. So she does. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly how it goes. Yeah, that's not even paraphrase. That's <laughs> word for word what he says. Um, and then how they got away with that on, right. on Fox. So later that night when she's with her boyfriend and he thinks he's getting some because they talked about it and he was getting some. Mm-hmm. He's not getting some anymore. No. The teacher ruined it. Yeah, he touched her leg and tried to kiss her. What a fucking dick. That's what she says. And she had said no to him. And then she, like, backed out and got out of the car. So nothing nothing actually happened. Well, yeah, he didn't, like, force her to have sex with him or something. But, it, I mean, it's even, still pretty bad. He didn't even kiss her. But he put his hands on her and I'm he tried saying, to I'm kiss her. I'm not saying it's not bad. I'm not on the side, guy's side. I wanted. I wish that I'm they had shown it, it. I'm saying it could have been worse. How do you try to kiss her? How does that go down? I wish I knew. Like he Leaned over, probably. Like, he kind of, you know, did the, the... It must have been not very forceful. Did the lean. Because... You know, like, you could easily kiss somebody without failing, even if they don't want to be. <laughs> Grab the back of their head. Well, I mean, yeah, or just, like, fucking lean into them. Yeah, whatever. But he failed in kissing her, so, you know, good job for her to uh, get away from him. And she now feels all gross and doesn't want to be touched. Mm-hmm. So her boyfriend is SOL. And she tells him that if she tells him what's wrong and what's going on, that he can't let anybody else know. Right. Which he agreed to. Yep. And then, of course, he goes and fucking tells. Well, he doesn't. He doesn't go and tell. I mean, that's unfair to him. He sees the teacher. Okay. He's walking in the hall and he sees that he sees Lance Guest, and Lance Guest is like, "Hey, help me fucking put these uh, posters up, posters, yeah, because yeah, we had the wrong number or something." And he kind of just looks at him. And he goes, because Nev Campbell stayed home from school. Yeah, she, she, she didn't, didn't want to see, see him. him. And she doesn't want to tell anybody about what happened. But she doesn't want to see him either. And so he says to the guy, he says to the teacher, if you touch her again, I'll fucking kill you or something like that. Yeah, not good. And then he walks away. So then the teacher goes to the principal, like very, very smart, mm-hmm. heading things off the pass. Being like, look, you know, this kid threatened me. I don't know what the fuck's going on. Well, no, he said that there must have been some misunderstanding and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Like, acting She like, was coming on to him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, she lost her parents, so, you know, it makes sense that... She wants a father figure. Right. Oh, my God. Like, I just want to knock his teeth out. Such an asshole. And her boyfriend had gotten her to agree to go to the principal. Right. So she's actually sitting outside the office and hearing him say this shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. the The principal's office has that uh, the magic acoustics that right. uh, when the when the ki- when something that is relevant to the character is being said, they can all of a sudden hear. <laughs> yeah, so she's she's rightly upset, and the principal um, she asks the principal to get her out of his class. Yeah, and she says, "I just don't want to ever have to talk about this again. I don't ever want to see mm-hmm. him again." And the principal's like, tell me what happened. I feel like I don't have the whole story, but mm-hmm. she won't tell her. Yeah. So, something happens. Yeah. 
that changes That's, that for her. I'm trying this, to remember. This show, something does happen on this show. You're well, right. I mean, there's a, you know, I'm trying to follow just the one storyline, but I feel like another storyline perhaps influences this one. Well, she talks to her brother, yeah. Matthew Fox, and she admits it to him. And he's got to sign this thing to take an incomplete in the class. Yeah. Because she has to take an incomplete in this class to get out of it. Which is, that's Bull, bullshit. bullshit. Yeah, I agree. And so she talks to him and he and tells him what happened. He's like, you, you know, you weren't going to tell me about this or whatever. This is, you can't let this guy get away with this. Yeah. I didn't like the way he talked to her about that because it was almost like blaming her. Yeah. You were, you, you kept like, as we were watching the, the episode, you kept saying like, uh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> well, people were continuously just not being nice to each other in this episode. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, like, he's like, you need to, you know, defend yourself. Like, you know, people don't understand how hard it is for women to say, hey, this thing happened to me. Like, it's not an easy thing to be like, oh, you're just going to let them get away with it? Like, mm-hmm. there's something wrong with them? Fuck you. Yeah. Like I said before. Anyways, she, uh, instead of feeling that way about it, though, he, like, inspires her or whatever. So, yeah. She goes and confronts the teacher mm-hmm. about what he did and how he made this place that she loved, his classroom, this, you know, unhappy thing for her now, and mm-hmm. and that she's going to go tell the principal. I don't know why she did that. That seems like giving him a heads up. Why? I don't know. Like, throw it in his face. <laughs> I guess. I mean, what's he going to do? It's not like she's, it's not like she's planning a sneak attack that... requires the element of surprise right what's he gonna do run away from his home and school and stuff so yeah so she tells on him and we don't know if anything ever happens though yeah we'll see um the other storyline is the middle brother well actually let's do the older brother because his storyline parallels hers yes a little bit yeah um He's this is the bar owner dude, mm-hmm. and his employees are talking about going out and having fun after work. Right, and he invites himself along. Basically, <laughs> they do not want him to come. No, they're they are very uncomfortable with him even knowing that they go anywhere. <laughs> they're like, wait, what? And like, he's like, uh, the, what? The waitress says, I didn't think that you'd want to, you know, do something like this. He's like, what? Go out and have fun? Yeah, I like fun, Julie Bowen. <laughs> So, yeah, he goes with them, and they drink, mm-hmm. and there's flirting happening with him and the waitress. What was that about? I don't know. Because didn't it seem like she really liked him? It seemed like she was somewhat interested, yes. And then the next day at work, mm-hmm. she says to him, hey, because oh, he said he had fun. Hey, mm-hmm. if you had fun last night, would you do something with me tonight? Right. And so he says yes, and he thinks he's not going on a date with her, and she just wants him to move her fucking Christmas tree. Yeah, him in his truck. Yeah, that's it. Yep, and then he tries to kiss her, and she's like, whoa, what's going on? I just wanted you to move my Christmas tree, dude. And he's like, oh, you know, I th- like you asked me on a date, and she's like, no, I just asked you out as a friend. Yeah. So. She knew what she was doing. She totally did. She used him. Now. He shouldn't have reacted the way he did. Yeah, he got very, very angry. But she it, she wasn't completely innocent. In this she wasn't innocent at all. There's not any, like, completely. She was wrong. But so was he. Yeah. So he cut her hours on the schedule. It's like textbook sexual harassment. Right. 
like, I don't know what he was. Did he miss that seminar because he's self-employed? Well, I guess because <laughs> his parents died and now he just owns his bar. Like, you don't know that that's like illegal? But yeah, so he cuts her hours and uh, he's like, well, you know, the the shift just not as busy as it used to be and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, you're just being mean. And he goes, no, if I was being mean, I'd say that uh, I only keep a shitty waitress on like you for the babe factor. And then she quit. Yeah. Which, who can blame her? And, like, she said she couldn't afford to pay her tuition if he yeah. cut her hours. Yeah. Like, She's seriously? Struggling. She she didn't want to kiss you, so you're going to ruin her fucking life? Anyway. <clears throat> he, um, after he talks to his sister, he mm. realizes what a dick he was. Yeah, he realizes that he was exemplifying some of those behaviors mm-hmm. as well. So he goes to apologize and ask her to come back to work. And I think they made up. But yeah, I, I figure she, she comes back to yeah. work. She She's was, all Julie Bowen about it, and she comes back. <laughs> she was not um, super happy with him, though. And who can blame her? Mm-hmm. And then we've got the middle son person. Yeah. The teenage... I'm assuming he's in high school or maybe early college. What do you Scott think? Scott Wolf. I think he's early college. So I think the way it goes is Matthew Fox says he's 24. And then I think that they, his name's... I know. I remember his name's Charlie. Charlie Salinger. I don't remember the middle one. They're the next one, though. And then I think it's Scott Wolf, who's probably like 21. Okay. That's my guess, like 20, 21, somewhere in that range. And then Nav Campbell's like 18. She's like a senior in high school. And then there's the... 12-year-old. The 12-year-old. And there may or may not be a baby. Yeah. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> but probably, there probably is. There's probably a baby, and they don't, because... How how hard it is to work with babies and stuff like right. that. It's not on the set much, but it's just like the baby's there somewhere. Someone's taking care of the baby at all times. Right. We just don't see the baby because we're not gonna you know we're not gonna uh, pay the extra insurance to have a to have baby baby insurance to have uh, a baby on the set all the time. Right. But I mean, like God, they must have live in help because all these people are very busy. Like they're never home. Yeah. Um, anyway, they seem like they're doing well financially. Yeah, that's true. So, okay, so this young guy is dating Jennifer Love Hewitt's character, mm-hmm. and she is super rich, and he well, is super are. poor. Well, I would, I don't know that he's super poor because he's part of this family, but like they don't, they're not well off. Well, he keeps talking about how he's broke. Yeah. And, like, he bought her a sweater for her birthday, and then, like, he's like, it's Angora. Well, not real Angora. Like, it's fake. Like, so, I mean, like, he's he seems like he does not have very much it's, money. It's made out of paper mache. Right. With Angora written across it. <laughs> so, but she's in high school. Who? Jennifer Love Hewitt. She goes to school with Nev Campbell. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe he's, like, 20. Yeah. Just a couple years older. So, her parents are rich, and they bought her a car. And apparently she recently found out that she's adopted. Mm -hmm. And she's not handling it very well. No, she's mad at them. And out of guilt, she thinks they're buying her stuff like a car. But they're obviously rich and can afford to. And they gave her a gold card. Yeah. And she's like, I didn't think that you'd give it to me if you don't want me to use it. Mm -hmm. Because she uses it to, first of all, she invites him to go skiing. Right. He doesn't want to go because he can't afford to. And she's like, oh, my parents will pay for it. I'm buying you a sweater. I'm buying yeah. you skis. All the stuff to go skiing. The whole skiing ensemble. He is skiing Ken and she is dressing him up. Yeah. She want like, he's been trying to figure out what to get her. 
for her birthday. And, oh, I think it's her 16th birthday, right? She's turning 16? I don't remember. Or is she turning 18? I don't think they said. He mentioned 16 years, uh, like, at some point in the episode, but he might be talking about, because he says, I think your parents have shown you for 16 years that they love you, but they might have adopted her when she was, like, two. Yeah. Or something like that. But she does this creepy thing, though, where she sees earrings. Well, he sees the earrings. Oh, he, he sees says, them. He says, oh, you know, those those would look good on you. And she's like, oh, those are garnets. That's my birthstone. Did you know that? And he's like, no. I just looked at them and I thought they looked good. And you'd like them. They're 300 bucks. I can't afford them. And she was like, well, I'll buy them. And you give them to me. Yeah. It's what weird. the fuck is that? Like, I don't, I don't know. It's weird. I don't like that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. No. Like, she, she's just not very considerate she's of the fact. She's buying it for herself. Yeah, and she's not very considerate of the fact that he doesn't have a lot of money. Like, mm-hmm. she doesn't realize it or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, and then her parents get mad because the credit card company calls them and says they think the card was stolen because there's so much activity. Right. And they're like, you can't just spend, like, it was over $1,000 she spent. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, I don't know why you gave it to me if you didn't want me to use it. Fuck you. She's like, well, I'll take everything back. Then I'll take the car back, too. Fuck your presence. And she's and they're like, whoa, wait, well, no. Yeah, she's a really big brat. And she, like does this, she does this all in front of Scott Wolf, so it's very awkward right. for him. And um, so she's, like, basically, like, not talking to her parents. He takes her out to dinner for her birthday. Mm-hmm. And then... Her car gets like ripped off, like someone breaks. Stripped. Yeah, well, I think I don't know that it got stripped. I think someone just stole the radio. The doors were missing. I th- no, the window was just knocked out. I think the door was missing. The fuck? <laughs> I mean, this this wasn't on the side of a freeway in Detroit. It's in front of a nice, fancy restaurant in whatever city they live in, Vancouver or whatever it is. Okay. It's definitely, it definitely wasn't stress. Yeah, someone took the time <laughs> in the middle of a nice area to jack the car up and take the hours that it takes to go through the entire thing. That They don't do that in nice neighborhoods. Okay. The I was kind of wondering why he took her to a restaurant in a bad neighborhood. The window was broken, that's all. So, But they get in a fight about all of this bullshit. Mm-hmm. And she takes off in a cab and misses her surprise party. Yeah. Her parents had planned her surprise party. He failed. I'm sorry, but, you know, no matter what else was going on, you should have been like, stop, yeah. there's a party. you got to get her to that party. Yeah, you don't You don't let her leave. <laughs> Idiots. So, yeah, her parents, uh, well, I think they're 85 in, people, he said. I think they're in San Francisco. Okay. Because she mentions Lombard Street, I believe, at one point, and I believe Lombard Street is one of those twisty streets in San Francisco. Makes sense. So then they make up, you know, later, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's about it. I mean, yep. Yeah. Uh, one they, more storyline. They have a smoochy smooch, yeah. and everything's. And he tells her, he's like, "Hey, you know, you don't have to test your parents. They they love you. They they chose to to take you, even though they're not biologically your parents." Yeah. Very sweet. It's fine. Twelve <laughs> um, year old girl has a friend. Yeah. Who is a troublemaker. And while they're at the restaurant hanging out, she's like, 
hey, you got any smokes back behind that bar? Why don't you give me some rum? And so she steals rum and cigarettes, and they go get drunk. Yeah, well, the first thing they do is the the little delinquent girl goes to the trash outside of a... Of a um, oh yeah, this was kind of funny. Ice cream shop, yeah, and she's like, she brings in the trash ice cream, and she's like, "Hey, my mom just bought this and found a cockroach in it and stuff," and the guy's like, "What?" He doesn't believe them at first and everything, and they start making this big deal, and the one woman that's in there is like, "Ugh," she sets down the ice cream, right. and he's like, "Look, I'll get you a, a fresh one." And he's, and he's, they're like, make it too. Yeah. So they scam, they scam him from that. And then, yeah, then she gets her to get uh, cigarettes and, and rum. And then they're laying in a tent in the living room drunk. Um. That's where he finds them when he comes home. Yeah, that's right. So like they took that stuff back to their house, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, they're, they're drunk, drunk, drunk. And he makes her go to school the next day, even though she's hungover. Yeah. And he gave her a note. I really want to know what the he note didn't said. Give her a note. The other little girl wrote the note. Oh. Oh, okay. That makes sense. The other, and she's like, we didn't see what it said, but it said something like she's sick or something like that. And the teacher's like, do you want to go to the nurse? And she's like, yeah, I think that's best. So she goes out, and the other two little girls they leave and they run but, off together. Yeah, but Matthew Fox is telling uh, what's her the little girl's name? I think the actress's name is. Lacey Shebear. Okay. Uh tells her, you know, hey, you're not gonna hang out with this kid anymore. She's a bad influence and she's delinquent. And she's like, Okay, I won't hang out with her anymore. But then, you know, she's gonna cause she did. She's acting up. Yep. I mean that's what happens with kids whose parents get killed in coordinated uh plane crashes or whatever happened to them. Right. So yeah, it's uh I mean, there was a lot of heaviness. But it was it was entertaining still, and um, it was kind of like with Now to Know when they have a very special episode. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this was a very special episode of Party of Five or if every episode is I like this. I think every episode's a very special episode because <laughs> you're dealing with kids whose parents are dead, right? So they're all having their issues. But it was it was entertaining. I liked it. Yeah, it was a good show. I want to see it again. So if you haven't watched it, check out Party of Five. And if you have watched, just tell us what's up. Yeah, tell us who the fifth party is. <laughs> so, speaking of five parties, we talked about 12 monkeys. Or we watched 12 monkeys. I was going to say. We're we, about to talk about 12 we, monkeys. Yeah, we didn't talk about it yet. That is weird. I didn't think about that, but we, we saw two things with numbers in the title. Oh, yeah. Party of five and 12 monkeys. We went to the theater, the theater, <laughs> and saw 12 monkeys, the newest Terry Gilliam film. Are you familiar with any of Terry Terry Gilliam's Uvoa? No. He uh, did this movie that I don't like called Brazil. Not, is, not 11 Monkeys. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, you should have made that joke. You should have made that joke. It's like, I, uh, I wasn't sure if, if I would be able to uh, keep up with this movie because I haven't seen 1 through 11 Monkeys. Hmm. <laughs> See, that's my joke <laughs> and i stepped all over it no you didn't step all over you just i wasn't gonna make that joke but then you made a joke similar to that joke uh-uh. that made me laugh you're rubbing off on me i guess sometimes <laughs> oh my god <laughs> no no anyway 
Anyway. So, we watched 12 Monkeys with uh, with Bruce Willis and Bradley Pitts. Yes, we did. It was, uh, it was all right. Yeah, it was good. It was, there was so much going on. It's probably Terry Gilliam's best movie, I guess. Okay. Like I said, I don't really like Brazil that much. I don't like a lot of the stuff he does. But it was, uh, it's based on a French film from 1962. Hmm. One of the interesting things about this French film is the name I can't remember, something in French. Uh, but it's largely told through still photographs. Oh, weird. Instead of like being a movie, it's like it's like a a parade of still photographs. I don't like that. With voiceover telling the story. I would not enjoy that at I, all. I think it's it's cinema whatever, the left bank uh influence or whatever, you know, it's that uh experimental French cinema of the sixties. Sure. Anyway. This film so what what did you like about it? What did you like about the movie? Um. Okay, so I kind of liked how it all wrapped together. Mm-hmm. You know, like the end of the movie was sad but appropriate because it fit with the beginning. Yeah. And, um, I mean, the acting was really good. See, you didn't like... Uh, you said that you didn't like Brad Pitt's acting at first. Well, yeah, I mean, I I feel like he was a little over the top. Mm-hmm. But like you said, you think that was on purpose, so I take it back. I think it's yeah, I think it was the dire- the direction because what it so this movie basically the over the the bare bones plot of this movie because there's a it's very serpentine. There's a lot going on, but the bare bones plot of this movie is in 1997. There's a huge pandemic that kills 5 billion people, almost the entire population That's insane. of the world. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. Uh, and then human beings have to, the ones that survive, go underground. So they're spending their whole lives inside, underground. They can never go outside. They can never see the sky and stuff like that. They can never breathe the fresh air. They don't socialize very much with each other because they're all underground. Sounds horrific. Yeah. Like just a complete dystopian future. Uh, and. God, can you imagine being locked up and away from everybody for like long periods of time? That'd no, be terrible. Terrible. So this dude, Bruce Willis, is. I think, what's his name? James Cole or something yeah. like that? Or, he's, he is a prisoner. Which we don't know why. No, they just says he has a history of violence and. and Stuff like that. So, like, he's not a good guy. Not really, no. But he's our hero. Yeah. <laughs> he's, so he's a prisoner, and they ask for, quote-unquote, volunteers. It's it's mandatory volunteer duty for uh, people from time to time, and apparently none of the volunteers have ever come back. But he does. No, he doesn't. He doesn't come back to his cell. Oh, Okay. Because uh, that's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about with Jose, his cellmate or whatever, that no one ever comes back. And so, yeah, the plot is these. there's a bunch of scientists at this facility, this prison, and they have figured out a way to travel through time. They They say many times 
they can't stop the virus. That's not their their objective is not to stop the virus. Right. Because it's the past. It's already happened. They can't change the past. Yeah. Basically their their point of view is like this all this stuff's already it's cause it's causality thing. All this stuff has already happened, therefore we can't change it. What we want to do is figure out who releases this virus. They think that it's this army of the 12 monkeys that release this virus. And they want to know who does it because they need to study the pure form of the virus before it mutates. Because if they do that, they can come up with a cure to the virus, a vaccine or something like that. And then human beings in the present for them, which is 2035, can Go back to the surface. They can live on the surface again. How this virus is still alive on the surface of the earth, if there's no people to infect yeah, on the surface like of the earth. Almost I, 40 years later. I don't know. I don't understand that. That doesn't make any sense to me, but okay. Well, they said the animals took over again. Mm-hmm. And we see that too. Like when he first goes up to the surface that there's bears, and lions, yeah. and yeah. So and tigers, oh my! You know, and and sometimes, rarely, but sometimes, viruses can pass from people and animals. So mm-hmm. maybe this is one that they share. Maybe I guess. And the animals aren't affected by it, but they just carry it. That's the only explanation, but it's it's real thin. Yeah. And if that's see that because it's so thin, that's something I think the movie should spell out. Yeah. But instead, they just they act like this virus can just live host-free in the air forever. Maybe the person who wrote the movie just doesn't know anything about viruses. and uh, Yeah, Yeah, that's going to be it. <laughs> because the movie this is based on, it's, it's uh, the apocalypse is a nuclear war. Mm. It takes place after a nuclear holocaust. Instead of a virus. Mm-hmm. And I think the, I, if I remember correctly, I think the reasoning that they send people back in time is to try to stop it, but they end up, they can't stop it. It's one of those causality loop things. Uh, But anyway, so predetermination. So that's the basic plot of the movie. They said they want to send Bruce Willis back in time uh, to find the pure form of the virus. And they, you have to be mentally tough to handle going back in time because it's very taxing mentally. I would imagine that would be. And it's not entirely perfected either because they accidentally send him to 1990 instead of 1996, the year we're now in, (laughs) where, where they want, where they, you know, intend to send him. Yeah, this takes the, like the movie takes place in 1990, 96 and 2035. um, And at the end of like, yeah, at the end of 96, because the the virus gets released around Christmas time, nineteen ninety six. So a little less than a year from now. Yeah, it's kind of creepy. Yeah, but anyway, so he he goes back in time and he's you know he's trying to figure this out. He meets Madeline Stowe, and well, he meets her because he's a mental patient mm-hmm. and she's his psychiatrist. Let's not act like it's a meet. You know, cute situation. So, I mean, instead of going through, like, the whole plot of, of the movie, really, like, which is something that we, we try not to do. Because movies are so very long. Yeah, we'll talk about, like, I want to talk kind of about the themes. So they okay. mentioned the Cassandra Complex, which, for those of you that don't know, the Cassandra Complex me is a, Cassandra in Greek myth 
as they explain in the movie too, was a woman cursed with knowing the future but not being able to change it and no one believes her. Mm-hmm. Like she tries to warn people about the, the future and no one believes that she actually can see the future and so nothing changes. So she's, you know, burdened with the gift of foreknowledge. So the Cassandra complex is the belief that you know what's going to happen and no one believes you. Or the predicament of actually knowing what's going to happen and no one believes you, which is what Bruce Willis is going through in this movie. Uh, So that's one of the themes is, you know, the Cassandra complex and predetermination, uh, you know, fate, stuff like that. Those are big themes in in the movie Um, because Bruce Willis has this, this vision from when he was a kid at an airport seeing this guy get shot and killed. And it was like one of the last things that he remembers before they all go underground and mm-hmm. stuff because of the virus. And it like occurs to him over and over again. Yeah, it's all through the movie. And like as he meets people in the movie, their faces mm-hmm. become part of it. Whereas before they didn't really, they weren't as well defined. Yeah. And Madeline Stowe is one of those, one of the women in like screaming and stuff, but she's got blonde hair instead of yeah. her, her black hair. And it turns out at the end, you know, it, like I said, if you haven't seen the movie, go see the movie, then then watch. Yeah. The, Stop wa- listening to us and go watch the movie and come don't back. Don't be a maniac. But uh, at the, so it turns out that it, it's Bruce Willis as an adult getting killed. He sees himself. By the police. So, yeah, killed. as a little boy, he witnesses his own death. And he doesn't realize that that's what he's witnessed mm-hmm. until the very end, too. Like, mm-hmm. I think... And why does uh, Jose right? Jose brings him the gun. Yeah. So they it finds they find out. So he goes at, at earlier in the movie. He goes to this mental hospital where Brad Pitt is, and Brad Pitt helps engineer his escape. And Brad Pitt's the leader of this army of the twelve monkeys, mm-hmm. and they're doing all this like you know down with the man corporate you know like kind of Espionage. stuff. Yeah. It, and his dad is this big vir- virologist. So everyone thinks that he's the one that that does it. And all the scientists in the future think that he's the one that does it. But the reason they think that is because the clues they're getting are from Bruce Willis and Madeline Stowe, who are acting on the the evidence that that they've already presented. So that's what, like, a causality loop is. Because they, it's it's almost like a paradox, because they did it then that stuff gets sent to the future and it leads them on the path, which is what influences the future. It's a weird kind of causality thing. Um, but it turns out that it's not. It's uh, David Morse, who was on St. Elsewhere. Should I? Oh, no. Oh, I didn't do it. No, you should not. One of these days, I'll play it again and I'll get you all. No. <laughs> But, but yeah, David Morris, who who was on Saint Elsewhere, is uh, as um, Doctor uh, Morrison, Doctor Jack Morrison. So the twelve monkeys, what all they really do is release animals from the zoo. Yeah, which kind of starts the animals taking over, I guess. Yeah, they release the animals from the zoo, and they put his dad, Christopher Plummer, into one of the cages as like a you know, hey, people are the ones should who should be in the cages, mm-hmm. kind of kind of thing. Fuck everyone. 
And yeah, so that's like the causality, causality and predetermination. And it's that, it's that old story. It's a more complex version of that old story where it's like, um, you know, uh, someone's like, Hey, you know, I heard that death's looking for you. Mm -hmm. You know, this guy that lives on the farm, you know, I heard that, that death's looking for you and everything. And, um, he's like, Oh no, no death's around. I, you know, I gotta, like he says to his dad, he's like, he's like, death's coming for me. What am I going to do? And he's like, run away, you know, go, go from the farm and go into the city and everything and, and stuff. And he leaves and then like death strolls through the town and the dad's like, Oh, and he's like, Hey, my son's not here. I heard you, you know, you might be looking for him, but, uh, you know, he's not here right now. And he's like, Oh, your son. Yeah. I have an appointment with him in the city later. <laughs> right. You know, and it's like, it's like that. Uh, that kind of thing where it's like it doesn't matter what you do, the future is going to happen mm-hmm. as you know as it as it's supposed to happen or whatever. So yeah, so he sees himself get killed mm-hmm. when he's a child, and it haunts him his whole life. Yep, and that's that's what I said. That's what it begins and ends with. But um, the virus itself still gets released. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's that's it. They tell us the entire movie, we're not going to stop this from happening. The only good thing, the only like glint of hope is that one of the scientists then is on the plane with the guy with the virus. So you're thinking that maybe they're going to get the virus that they want, but you don't even know. Yeah, I think the implication is that they get it. And I think the implication is they always got it. They always got it at that point. Mm. But they didn't, like, they knew they had to send him. Because he's the one that gets the information for them. But they don't... Like, it's another causality thing. It's like, they knew this was going to happen. But they, you know... they All they can do is affect their future. They can't, they can't change the past. So they're going to get a sample of the virus. And they're going to, you know, make a cure or something like that. And human beings will eventually take over the Earth again and, and continue to destroy it. <laughs> See, there's... the. So I liked this movie for a few different things. Bruce Willis and Brad Pitt are both excellent in the movie. Yes. Very good. Like I said, you said he's a little over the top, which I agree with, but I think that's the point. When we go into the mental institution, everything's shot at like Dutch angles and everything's all crazy and, and shit like that. And it's I think it's it's like a it's a hyper reality of what a mental institution would be like. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine that any mental institutions actually like this. But this is like a big play up of, of what they're like. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, but even more even, even more, more so. yeah, than that. Uh, so, you know, that's there's that aspect to it. Um, and I like the acting between the two of them. Madeline Stowe is as solid as, as she is in, in pretty much everything that she does. Um, and like you said, I, I like the, I like some of the themes of predeterminism and the Cassandra complex and, and and fate and stuff like that. And I like how the whole movie is a, a paradox or the whole movie is a a causality loop. Like not only does the movie talk about causality loops, but the whole movie is a causality loop. It begins with him as a kid Mm -hmm. seeing this, this murder because he's dreaming it. And then it ends with him being murdered and the kid, him seeing this murder happen. So the whole thing is like his life is one big loop. Like this, and Margaret Stowe figures it out at the very end too, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, she looks right at the boy and stuff. She recognizes him. Yeah. 
Yeah, weird that she doesn't uh, just stalk that kid and eventually have sex with him. Ew. But I think she probably dies, right? Like, she probably dies from this virus. Probably. And, you know, they never did have sex. No. They never, I mean, they, they kissed one time. Yeah, that's the other thing I kind of like about the movie is that it believably develops this relationship in subtle ways. There's no, there's no big things that happen that this relationship develops. It just kind of coalesces from them spending time together. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how most relationships actually form. But there are things that I think the movie's a little overly complex. I think the movie's a little... I think the movie's a little over the top in some ways. Like, you were talking about the acting being over the top. And I think that's not a fault of Brad Pitt's. I think that's the direction that he was given. But I think that that doesn't work in this movie. Well, when I was watching it, I'm thinking to myself, I'm watching someone pretend to be crazy. Mm-hmm. And I that's why I think it doesn't work as yeah. much in this movie. I mean, I honestly, at certain points, was, was thinking maybe he's not crazy and he's supposed to be pretending so he can be there or something. But he was crazy in the movie. Yeah. He, he really, you know... He was less over the top about it when he was out of the mental institution, mm-hmm. which I guess makes sense because he's obviously doing better if he's out of the institution. Right. But. but yeah, I think, and I, like I said, I, I think that's a bad thing. I just don't think it's Brad Pitt's fault. Right. I think Terry Gilliam was like, no, play it like this more, more, more. I think that was like his direction because that's the vision Terry Gilliam had for this, especially this section of the movie. But I don't... I don't think it works. It doesn't work for me in in this context. And some of the fugitive, like, we're on the run from the police kind of stuff also doesn't work for me that much in this movie. Mm-hmm. The, the This would work a lot better as a race against the clock. It would also work a lot better if they thought that they could stop the virus. I think Matt, maybe Madeline Stowe thinks that. I think what it should have started out is, and what the character arc of Bruce Willis's character should have been, is the scientists tell him, we're sending you back in time. You can't change anything. It is impossible. It already happened. And that's his attitude. But as he falls in love with the world and with this woman, he starts to believe that maybe he can change it. Maybe he can have a happy ending, stop this virus, and live in this world that he loves uh, for, you know, for the rest of his life. And at that point, we could, we as an audience could re-fall in love with the beauty of the world that we live in and, and nature and stuff like that. And I think that would make the the themes of, like, the destruction of natural resources and and the abuse of animals and stuff like that, the, the the background themes that play throughout this movie, I think that would give them more of an impact. And then it becomes even more tragic at the end when it turns out that you the scientists were right, you can't change anything from the past, and he ends up dying. I think that all that works better, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I definitely I can see that, and I think that would work better. I I don't think that at any point he thought that he could change it though i think that what happened though he started to think that he was crazy and that you know it wasn't going to happen he thought he was crazy and that it wasn't going to happen 
But Madeline Stowe quickly tells him, no, you're not crazy. I found all this evidence that you really are a time traveler. Here's a picture I happen to have from World War One. Yeah, what the fuck was where that? You, that you're in. She's got pictures from World War One all over her walls. What is she crazy? Like, why yeah. did she have that? Her going apartment on? looked crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was a little weird. But anyway, so she, you know, she's like, no, you know, you're not crazy. It really is going to happen. And their solution is, let's go to the Florida Keys. He's never seen the ocean. I want to see the ocean. Let's go to the Florida Keys, and we'll just sit out this virus there. And and you know, if it if it happens, then she she says, "Hey, if if you know by May or something like that, people aren't sick and stuff, we'll be you know we'll be really happy that we were wrong, and we'll both just be happy and crazy together. But if we're but if we're right and it does happen, at least we'll be together and we can be in this beautiful place and stuff like that." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as the world ends around us. Um, but to me, that's not like, that's not hopeful enough. That's That doesn't set you up for, you know, he can do this and then crush you Yeah. at the end. I think to get the emotional impact that he wants, Bruce Willis has to believe I can stop David Morris. I shed no tears. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like... It's it's a cool movie with a cool aesthetic. Mm-hmm. But I think Terry, and this is a problem with Terry Gilliam, I think Terry Gilliam uh, cares more about the cool uh, outer layer of his film than the inner workings yeah. of this world. And the emotional core, there's not really an emotional core to this movie. There's nothing you can really grab onto emotionally, and it, the movie didn't affect me emotionally. Yeah, it was you know it was a cool movie and it was fun to watch, but it's not it's not one that I'm going to be like, hey, this is going to live in my in my heart and my brain for a long time. Well, you know, he's not a great hero. No, because I mean, and he like with his bare hands kills more than one person on screen. Yes. That may or may not have deserved it. I mean, the one guy was going to rape her, yeah. so whatever. But, yeah, he, he's definitely a violent, scary dude. And that would be fine as an anti-hero type thing. That would be fine if, like I said, there was more of an emotional core to this movie. Yeah. And like I said, we could parallel him falling in love with the world, which we get a little glimpses of, because he's like, oh, I love breathing this air and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, with falling in love with her. Those two things could parallel. And, you know, we could... There could be a good emotional core to this movie, but there just really isn't. Yeah. I agree. Well, that is our episode for the week. Uh, we are happy to be back. We're hoping... We're happy... Hopey, we're hopefully. We're hoping <laughs> that you're happy to have us back. Uh, but, Carol, why don't you tell the people once again in 1996 what they need to do. So, go ahead and tell your friends about the show. Do it. Um, write us at latefee1994 at AOL.com. That would be great. Check out the website, www.retrolatefee.com. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk to you next week. All right. See you next time. Bye. Bye.